Please do keep your Bibles open as we'll be referring throughout to Psalm 24. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, our God and our King, thank you for the Psalms. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us through the book of Psalms and through the world that you have created that we live in. Would you speak to our hearts today? Amen. At almost exactly this time, 11 weeks ago, with perfectly ironed white robes on the outside and a stomach full of butterflies on the inside, I walked into the nave of the cathedral to see if my family had arrived for my imminent ordination service. So we hadn't seen each other for some days. Um, We do a a residential ordination retreat beforehand. uh, And I, I was bristling with excitement about seeing them, probably more excited than my kids were about seeing me. Uh, I saw them from quite a distance, uh, well before they saw me, Uh, and in in that moment I realised that my kids had never been in a room that big or that grand before. My my wife was shepherding them along the aisle towards our assigned seating, but they kept on nearly tripping over each other or tripping over their own feet because they were were wide-eyed and just looking around themselves, just taking it all in the enormity, these, these pillars the size of oak trees and, and row after row after row of chairs that look like the waves of the sea and the, the, the light, the morning light coming in through the eastern windows illuminating the whole thing and actually for a second I just stood still and just enjoyed watching their wide eyes taking it all in. So eventually they saw me and sudden squeals of They ran towards me again, nearly tripping over many people, and I went down to give them a big hug. Wait, 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 stop, stop. Chocolate hands, no, no, jam on your fingers. Okay, you can hug me. (laughs) Gave them a big hug, Um, and and after the initial moment of the hug, and we were still hugging, they, they put their attention back on the room, and we were hugging, and they just taking it all in. I said, it's pretty cool, isn't it? They said, yeah. I said, do you want to see something really cool? Look that way. And their eyes followed my finger and went up to the ceiling and they just marveled at it. The beautiful fan structure that I'm sure many of you have spent time looking at yourself, but to my, particularly to my four-year-old, so high above him, it might as well have been painted on the sky. And in this moment, they let out this involuntary word of wonder and praise Wow! (laughs) This sermon series throughout September has a focus throughout the Psalms of God revealing himself through the natural world. But my choice of opening story about a man-made structure was deliberate because as we'll see in our psalm today, man-made buildings can also play a part, joining in with the natural world to sing the praises of God. Psalm 24 uses that device loved by poets in every single generation of humanity, the rhetorical question, to uh, interrupt us, to surprise us, to throw us into that same place of, wow, and ask the question, who is this king of glory? Who 
is this king of glory? In 1976, Baptist preacher S.M. Lockridge preached one of the most well-known sermons of modern time about God's kingship. Uh, His famous That's My King sermon drew from the entire canon of scripture and he highlighted seven different ways in which God was king. I would love to play you a clip or to recite it, but we haven't got time, but please do. Just Google That's My King sermon and you'll, you'll find hundreds of links to it. It is well worth your time. The writer of this psalm is doing the same thing as Dr. Lockridge. But where Lockridge needed a whole long sermon and needed to draw from all of Scripture to find these seven ways God is king, today's psalm gives us three different ways that God is king in just ten short verses. So who is this king of glory? Verses one to two show us the creator king, the author of the world around us. Verses 3 to 6, the holy king, set apart, glorious, seemingly unapproachable by mere humans. And verses 7 to 10, the victorious king, triumphant in battle, returning to Jerusalem. And we're going to look at these one at a time because Psalm 24 is not just um, a poem, it's a journey of worship. It's the same journey that the human heart follows through worship. So number one, creator king, verses one to two. I witnessed another wow moment from one of my children a few weeks ago, more recently. We were on holiday in North Wales and Eliana, one of my seven-year-olds, asked me, Daddy, can you take me up Mount Snowdon? Now, I was amazed by the, the grit that my seven-year-old has. So absolutely, I would love to take you up Snowdon. It's one of my favourite walks. Um, so on the day in question, we put on our boots and off we set. <clears throat> now, I've been up Snowdon many, many times. I know it quite well. But my daughter has never even really seen Snowdon, except on a sort of very, very distant horizon. So I was really excited as we were uh, driving in the car to the car park for the moment at which you sort of turn a corner and you see the great mountain in front of you. But alas, this was not a day for that. Mist completely concealed almost the entire mountain. Um, We set off anyway, in faith that the mountain was still there, even though we couldn't see it. Um, But a couple of hours of climbing in, the mist hadn't really lifted at all, um, and my daughter was just having to go on sheer trust that I was taking her the right way. Until a sudden gust of wind revealed the mountain top above us and the mountain lake below us and it was like for the briefest of moments a curtain was drawn back and we could see the whole thing in all of its glory and my daughter again her mouth dropped open and all she had was wow (laughs) I managed to catch that one on camera and she she has given her permission to share it Um, aching feet Hungry tummies suddenly forgotten, just marvel at how incredible God's creation can be. The earth 
is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. I wonder, when was the last time you had a wow moment? Allowing your heart to just be awestruck by the beauty and majesty of this tapestry of creation that our king of glory has made for himself. The scale of a mountain. The the intricate detail of the veins on the back of a leaf in your garden. That hour in late afternoon when the sunlight softens and makes everything seem golden. The sensation of your own heart beating inside your chest. This king of glory designed them, planned them, built them as a testament to his kingship. And if we stop being busy for long enough, then our hearts will lead the way with a natural response of, wow, an outpouring of wonder and praise for our creator king. Number two, holy king. In verses three to six. So the human heart often goes on a particular journey whenever confronted with the majesty and glory of God. And this psalm, as I said, is taking us on the same journey that we naturally follow. So we may often start with our moment of, wow. And then wonder at the creativeness of God quickly can become realisation of the holiness and set-apartness of God and, and wow can quickly turn into, oh no, because you realise that this big, artistic, creative God is also holy and pure and righteous and what's really scary is that you are none of those things. The prophet Isaiah puts this into words when he sees a vision of God in Isaiah 6 verse 5, falls to his face and says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The response is to fall flat on his face because he knows what he is. And he has recognized what God is. Our psalm today uses more rhetorical questions to make the same point. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? What human being could possibly be good enough to approach this holy God? The psalm gives us some criteria One who has clean hands, one who has a pure heart, one who doesn't trust in an idol, and one who doesn't swear by what is false. And we can sometimes gloss over them to get to the next bit of the psalm. But truthfully, these criteria are just as intimidating today as they were back then. Who among us has never bent the truth a little bit? Who has never trusted an idol? Sure, we don't bow down to Baal or Asherah poles, but do we trust in the idols of financial stability, personal achievement, 
political victory. And when we are confronted with the awesome holiness of God, who among us can truly claim to have a pure heart? Just like for Isaiah, gazing upon God's holiness can bring our own unholiness into sharp relief. Now, of course, we are fortunate to live under the knowledge and the blessing of the new covenant. And so we read this in the context of Jesus and knowing that he sets us free and redeems us by his blood. But actually, even within this psalm, we can see it pointing towards the mercy of God poured out upon those who seek him. So right after that seemingly impossible list of criteria, in verses 5 and 6, it proclaims, they, the people, will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication, also translates as righteousness, from God their saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. So the psalm paints a picture that when we seek the Lord, we receive blessing and righteousness from him so that our heart and our hands are made pure and then we can approach the holy king with confidence. Section three, victorious king, verses seven to 10. So the third section shows us God as a victor, a champion. The poetic imagery that the psalmist uses, in the first two sections, it was all imagery of the natural world, seas, rivers, mountains, but the imagery shifts to military imagery. God's name in these final verses is not just Yahweh as it is in the, in, in the first six. It shifts to, as we translate in the NIV, the Lord Almighty, which is the Lord of hosts in the original language, the commander of the armies of heaven. Now, to understand why this victory is so valuable and praiseworthy, it's helpful for us to have a look at the history of this psalm. So... In 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines and taken away to their capital city. It's not possible to overstate how much of a calamity this would have been for the Israelites. So for their understanding of God, the Ark wasn't just a symbol or a representation of God's presence, such as we might understand it. The Ark was God's presence. It it was such a big deal that when the high priest, Eli, discovered that the ark had been captured and was told, he fell down dead on the spot. The ark was away from Jerusalem for over 20 years. Then, fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 6, David, who's now king, recaptures the ark and triumphantly returns it to its place in the temple in Jerusalem. So you may remember this story. Uh, David is so overjoyed and ecstatic in this joy that he, he strips off his kingly robes and dances in his ephod 
um, which is, is like a nightie, by the way, um, much to the chagrin of his wife, who doesn't think that kings should act that way. But he doesn't care because he is so delighted that the glory of God is returning to the temple. But also he knows, he knows a deep truth, which is it's better by far to lose one's dignity in true worship than to keep a stiff upper lip and never really allow one's heart to praise God. I digress, that's a different sermon. Anyway, it seems as though this psalm was written either in that moment when they are returning the ark to Jerusalem or maybe in a following year because they celebrated the anniversary of the ark's return um, for years going forward. But this psalm, particularly the last four verses, tells the story of that ark coming back. So if we look again at verses 7 to 10, and I want you to imagine a a military procession uh, approaching Jerusalem from afar with trumpets sounding, banners waving, soldiers shouting, and then from the city, the city gates and temple doors are flung wide, and the people of the city are lining the streets, children craning their necks to get a view and cheering, lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. So the answer to the rhetorical question, who is this King of glory?, To the people writing and hearing the psalm, the answer was, there he is. Here he comes. Look on the horizon. God is coming back. His ark is returning and the glory of God is coming back to this place again. Now there's no clear consensus amongst scholars on why gates and doors are being given human characteristics Uh, in this psalm and they're being told to lift up their heads but I think that the answer lies if we consider the experience of of these people because the way we often read the Bible is we we read each story in isolation you know our, our daily reading or our Sunday sermons we just consider each story in isolation. And, and so we might not think necessarily of the, the taking away of the ark by the Philistines in, in 1 Samuel 4 and then the returning of the ark by David in 2 Samuel 6 as the, the same story, um, or at least not think of them in the same terms. But if we do that, we can miss the fact that almost all of the people in the background there are the same people. It's a 20-year period. Most of them would have experienced both. So imagine with me for a moment what it would have felt like to be an Israelite in that generation. In the 20 long years before the ark was returned and the presence of God was restored to Jerusalem. 20 years without the goodness of God being part of your daily life. I imagine they would have felt abandoned, lost, bereft, guilty for being the ones who lost it, cursed. I think that that sense of hopelessness would be so deep in the souls of the people that it would almost feel as if the buildings of the city had lost hope and dropped their heads too. 
So that when the trumpets sound and hope appears on the horizon, the relief and joy is so powerful that even the city gates and the doors of the temple perk up and lift their metaphorical heads to join in the praise and celebration with the people. And and that is why the third section is different from the other two. So section one, God the creator king. But to create the world, you have to be big. He seems so big and so powerful that he's just set apart from us. And in section two, the holy king, he is so righteous and awesome and pure that he feels even more set apart from us. But in section three, the victorious king is no longer set apart. He is involved. He is fighting our battles and he is coming back to dwell in our community. God with us. God with us. So as we draw to a close, I want us to think about how we might make use of this psalm's three-part journey of worship in our own lives. So maybe you need some space and time for God the Creator King to give you a wow moment. If you can't remember the last time that you felt overcome by the beauty of something, pushed into a place of awe that by the creation that God has put around you, or even a building built for his glory, then I invite you to speak to God during the next song and ask him to bring you into a place of wow this week. Maybe it's been some time since you have been challenged by the glorious holiness of God. Now, in my personal walk, excuse me, in my personal walk, I find that occasional moments of realizing God's holiness and therefore my own sinfulness are actually of the highest value to me because it's that that helps me remember just what Jesus is saving me from. So if you feel that you might have slipped into over-familiarity, you may wish to speak to God as we worship and say, Father, would you show me that as well as being loving, you are also holy. Or thirdly, maybe you feel like the ancient gates. Maybe your head is down. Maybe it has been so long since you felt hope and joy that you are starting to wonder if God is ever going to break through and win that victory that you have been aching for. If that is you, then I suggest this prayer. Father, lift up my head. I long for you to come in glory and win your victory and restore your joy to me. So as we worship in a moment, I just invite you to take a moment to ask God for whichever of these you feel applies best to you. Amen.